Hello, stoned apes and others who are curious about the healing powers of psychedelic medicines. Welcome to the Stoned Ape Reports. I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I talk to another stoned ape, somebody who has experienced the transformational powers of psychedelics, or with a practitioner who works with these medicines. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jasmine. She shared her thoughts on respect and reverence for entheogens, developing kinship with other people, feeling truth, and breaking the stigma of psychedelics in the African-American community. Please enjoy this episode with Jasmine. So Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me here on the Stone Dave Reports. Um, why don't we start off by maybe you telling us what your, your quote, Stone Dave story is, you know, like maybe what brought you to entheogens, to psychedelics, plant medicines, whatever you prefer to call them, and, um, and how, how they help you. Sure. Uh, so I am 34, and the first time I mm-hmm. tried a, a psychedelic was um, my first year in college. Uh, I believe I was 17 when I went away to school. So I had a few friends, um, a a gentleman that I, two friends that I knew from high school that went to the same university as me. And we ended up taking, they gave me chocolate. It was heart shaped chocolate and it was gross. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that night um, we walked into the woods. I completely trusted the people I was with. So I was with four, four men young men and and myself. So I was the only girl. Um, And we went into the woods and there was a big giant boulder with a painting of a mushroom on it. And it just, it, it, I guess this is what the space was generally used for. So someone marked it and Mm. we sat on the top of that um, tall boulder and watched uh, Lord of the Rings for 45 minutes. And then basically just traipsed around the woods and then ended up going back to watch a movie. Now, that particular experience wasn't um, transformative for me. I, I didn't realize at the time mm-hmm. that I have a, a pretty high tolerance. Um, I, I don't know what to attribute that to. Um, I was prescribed Adderall yeah. when I was younger. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that means anything, but I did take, you know, such a, a strong um, drug during my you know, early teenage years that, you know, those things could yeah. have, Effects. I, I don't know that much uh, into the science of that, but that particular experience was not, um, you know, too intense. Uh, so, right. Um, that yeah, that it was my first. It doesn't sound like you went into it. it. Doesn't sound like you went into it with uh, an intent to really solve something, right? And it's more of a was that kind of a recreational type of experience? Not that that's bad, but is that more like what you guys were doing? Uh, it it was for me personally. Um, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. it was kind of a random evening. I, I thought that maybe we'd go, you know, hang out, smoke pot. That's, that's what you do. Um, and right. they were like, Oh, do you want to try? And I thought, sure. Um, being that I went to high school with, with a couple of these people previously, I remember the first time I had heard of someone I knew taking a psychedelic was one of the people that I was with. And he, you know, he made it sound like such an amazing experience that I was still shy about yeah. those things. And I put it out of my mind until I was, hanging out with him, um, you know, a couple of years later. And so, no, the first, actually several times I took mushrooms were, uh, I just, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the respect and reverence that one should have when going into, Mm -hmm. you know, using an entheogen. So it was, it was more like a a play, a playtime, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, you know, basically the, oh, yes. 
No, I just I was going to say. So when you, what happened when you did have that kind of transformational experience? So that was actually LSD. Um, the first time I tried oh, wow. LSD was three years later uh, when I was 21. I had moved out of my mother's house, and um, uh, we had we had decorated for a Halloween party. So we actually covered our ceilings, floors, and walls in black. And wow! You know, so I tripped for the first time in a room decorated with black lights, and and so yeah. that was that experience. Kind of it, it propels you out of your your normalcy. You know, you're not just yeah. in your bedroom or in someone's house. You're in a different land, and so it, you know, visually, it was stunning, but um, emotionally, it was shaken, or I was shaken because mm. right. uh, I. I try to explain it. I don't, I have emotions, of course, as a regular person, but sometimes I, I lack the ability to connect. Um, I'm good. Mm. I, I would see myself as better at people than with people. Uh, I'm I see. extroverted introvert to where I love socializing, yeah. but sometimes I don't allow people to really see me or to connect in that way. Uh, a friendship of just kinship. Right. Um, and, and so that was an amazing experience with the two friends that I was with because I felt that I connected with them in such a way that I had never really felt before. I was so emotionally involved in these people yeah. in this time that we were together. And I, it, that was, um, uh, that was, hmm. <laughs> that was quite the experience. And, and so then I, you know, I ended up doing LSD, um, several times. And one thing that it did was transform how I felt about um, just trusting my eyes, um, trusting what I see instead of what I know. I can be very, hmm, I can be very clinical with the way I look at things. This is that, this is that, you know, yeah. I, I believe, I believe what I see. Um, I'm a skeptic in that. I can be a skeptic in that way. So this was more, I knew that my, I described it as my eyes were lying to me, but I could feel the truth. And right. um, I, I genuinely described the experiences um, more with mushrooms as saying you could write a list of 10 things that you are thinking about, 10 things that are on your mind. And somehow, you know, on these particular psychedelics, you're able to solve a lot of your problems uh, instantly. It's like you could say, I'm, I'm moving. And maybe you felt, you know, things are very busy or I don't know how I feel about it. And you take a psychedelic and you, you, you look at that sentence, I'm moving. And you really know how you feel about it. You know, once you think about that yeah. thing that maybe you were suppressing or, or, or you just weren't dealing with, you weren't sure how you really felt about it until you tapped into that part of yourself um, that psychedelics allowed me to tap into. And when you, when you tapped into that, what kind of things did you discover or did you see, you know, as it relates to maybe the connection to other people or understanding other people or anything else? Uh, well, I, I, I'm, my mother is a social worker and she very much spent time teaching us to find, you know, the good in ourselves to make sure that you um, are satisfied with the person looking at you or looking at in the mirror. Um, that is very important. Yeah. That way you can be better for the right. world. And those lessons I always knew yeah. and I always did them in practice. Um, however, there were still things that I would 
do to people, things that I would say, uh, my words, um, you know, words can be very powerful. She would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can forever hurt me. And I found mm. that I was using my wit or ability to be funny to hurt people. And, mm. you know, on a, a particularly heavy mushroom um, session, I thought about something I had set up to someone when I was in third grade. And, you know, I'm, I was sitting there 28 years old thinking, why would I say that to someone 20 years <laughs> ago? And it, so it's yeah. always been psychedelics has really acted as a, a mirror um, to see how I am to other people, not how I think I am, but how someone may perceive me and how powerful and cutting words can be. And um, yeah, so I, I had to make sure that I use that power for good instead of just to say, right. you know, Oh, your face. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I, right. say. I just I always had a knack for picking out something that I could tell someone was hiding. And that's not something people want brought up, but I'm so curious right. that I can see it all over their face. And I'm always, I'd be like, so let's talk about this thing that I know you hate about yourself. And I, I just never mm. thought that how that would affect other people, how other people take that in, because I'm always ready to talk about things. Yeah. And, until mushrooms put you put it in the mirror and showed you and said, this is how it's affecting other people. Right. Which is very important um, for all of us to, to know how we are to the people around us and how we make them feel and, and to be aware. It's just super important. Yeah. Because a lot of people report back with, with mushrooms that they feel a new or a strengthened connection to other people and to nature. Do you think yes. that that was at all part of, part of this experience for you? Uh, mine was more, um, I, I try to, I describe it as, um, well, before I get into that, my, the first time that I ever really tripped on mushrooms was um, a, a little less than eight years ago. Um, and, and, you know, I'd been trying psychedelics for about 13 years in seeing, but I, I took right. a heroic dose um, about eight years ago. And that yeah. is when I truly um, had my transformative experience with mushrooms uh, instead of LSD being what would usually f make me feel so connected. So um, within that, uh, oh, I forgot where I was going. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, so this heroic dose was, was transformative. Do you want to share kind of a little bit about that journey and what the experience was? I mean, the point of this podcast is not to do a bunch of trip reports, but no, I think it's always helpful to kind of hear you know, somebody's experience, especially, you know, somebody's talking about a heroic dose of mushrooms, you know, there may have been um, something that occurred during that trip that ended up being pretty impactful. Right. I don't know. It may be where you were going. It was, it was, um, it was talking about once I took that uh, heroic dose, it felt as though you, it's, it's almost like your brain is able to have a glimpse of what it must feel like to know how big the universe is. It's mm. knowing that I, I don't know, uh, I most likely will never know, but I had a, a glimpse of that weight of knowledge. And it reminded me uh, that again, we are just monkeys with clothes on. Um, and that we're, you know, being on earth, it is a much smaller thing than we think. The borders that we've made, the amount of people that are on earth is such a, a small number in comparison to how big things really are. 
you know, the third smallest right. planet next to a star that is so insignificant in the universe, we are right next to each other. We are on top of each other. And, um, you know, the things that we have done uh, to make arbitrary lines and, and to separate ourselves, it seemed very foolish to me. And, I, I, it, and it made um, regular life so absurd. Uh, I always describe driving my car the next day as feeling very silly that I'm operating this giant machine with my fingers. <laughs> and that, that connection yeah. is what um, I realized that that is what I needed to, to remind myself of, that I am just a, a silly kind of insignificant thing. And for some people that would depress them, but for me that makes me feel great because I have an effect on my immediate surroundings which is what I have to live mm -hmm. in. So that those are the things I should be concerned about the people right next to me. Because, you know, and how do you maintain that? I mean, that's a pretty, pretty good lesson. How do you not let that just kind of fade away? How, how have you kept that lesson of knowing how, how small we are and how important your, your little sphere is within all this? How, how do you keep that in your, in your mind and as part of your life? <clears throat> well, I always, um, a sentence that always comes back to me, um, you know, most heavily on a mushroom dose would be the sentence, the work is every day. Uh, so mm. I just, I, and I, I remember I wrote it down in highlighter, you know, <laughs> on truffles one day in Amsterdam. And I just kept writing the work is every day. So I do my best to, to keep that. So I actually quit my job. Uh, I was working in a bookstore. I left my job and I started working with children. Um, I, mm. And I figured that uh, I could understand why my family members do it. You know, a lot of my family members work in the school system. And so um, I did that as well because I remember when, you know, being a child and having that one adult that said, you know, you don't have to be a piece of shit. And that, it, right. she of course didn't say it like that, but it, right, it was, right. she was letting me know that you're a smart kid and sometimes you do and say things that are counterproductive. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. make sure you work on that because you have to realize that you, you can have a profound effect on other people. Um, and so I was trying to do my best to think how I could, um, you know, make my life revolve around that, the idea that if what you're doing isn't helping, then what are you doing? Um, so I started working yeah. with children and, uh, I've been doing that for a really long time. However, you know, be, trying to be a psychedelic advocate is <laughs> difficult when, you know, I could obviously not be allowed to work with children anymore if people were aware of that. So I just try to make myself into a positive example of what, um, you know, the positive example of what people would not think a quote-unquote druggie would look like. You know, yes, I yeah. do psychedelics and whatnot, and I smoke pot, but I also, you know, read up to 15 books a year. I'm also a nice person. I also volunteer. Um, I learned that lesson from a speaker at a psychedelic conference that she tried to make her life look so look like such an amazing picture that someone would say, how do you do it? And that's how you segue mm. <laughs> into saying, well, I took four yeah. grams of mushrooms and I, you know, the death of my ego really helped <laughs> and maybe it could benefit you. Yeah. And so that's, so you, on one hand, you have to be careful because of your, your current profession. And, but on the other hand, you describe yourself as an advocate and you want to do like you say, and, you know, get psychedelics out of the closet and, and start conversations. So how, how do you balance those two? Uh, 
I would not say with great difficulty because um, I am a, I, I think I do a very good job of um, letting the people around me know that I am a nice person. You know, I, I yeah. do nice things. I go out of my way. I genuinely enjoy children and I have a very pleasant disposition. I think someone would be hard pressed to compare my disposition with theirs if they were so anti-psychedelics, you know, cause a lot of people have, yeah. th there's a, a weight to dealing with children, um, a heavy weight, the emotional toll that it can take on you. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, when you hear children's stories, um, it, it could be, you could make you very cynical um, and working for a, a school system. It can make you very cynical. And so I try to do my best to be um, that person that, reminds people of, of why we're doing it, um, why it's so important yeah. and the service that, you know, you do working with children. And so I, I feel as though um, talking about the fact that I do or I have done psychedelics, um, I, I feel as though I, I, I'm doing my best to be a quote unquote non-threatening representation of that. So it's more palatable right. to people that would normally think that it was, you know, the scourge of the earth or, killing people or, or, you know, a lot of the propaganda that they would hear about drug users. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of misconceptions out there and uh, it creates, it creates a, a lot of stigma yes. you know, around these, these medicines. And so how are you, you know, the advocacy part of it, how are you advocating? What do you, what do you do? Do you, do you talk to, um, I mean, your friends growing up, they were right there with you. You know, what about parents and, parents, friends, and um, any other community you're a part of, you know, how are you able to talk right. about these things and, and do your advocacy? <laughs> that's actually, that's actually uh, difficult. And even in my thirties, um, you know, I'm the youngest of three, my, my family works in the school system. Um, but I have a family member that um, was incarcerated for uh, marijuana, uh, for cannabis. actually, mm. And that was a big catalyst um, for me. And it also, you know, the, the stigma is that if you're black, as I am, if you're a black American, um, we don't use psychedelics. That is something for white hippies. That's, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't do that. So why is that? I mean, uh, why, I mean, I understand why the white hippies do it. What, what is it about the black community that, that says no to psychedelics? Uh, well, I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause I, I go to the, I'll go to all these conferences. You know, I mean, not all of them, but I've been to a couple big conferences um, on plant medicine, psychedelics. I look around the room, and it's not like I'm doing some kind of a survey, but I'm like, you know, there's not a lot of people of color sitting in this room. Oh, no. And I always wonder <laughs> why that is. You know, I'm actually, um, in, you know, in school right now, and I'm, I'm most likely going to write my thesis about something like this because it, I've noticed mm. it as well. I've been going to conferences since um, 2012. Um, and yeah. uh, I did notice that I am uh, uh, most times the only um, black person, not necessarily a person of color, um, because you will get an abundance of Latinos or maybe um, some indigenous people uh, will also come because of the relationship that their community, you know, may have yeah. with psychedelics versus uh, my general community. Sometimes I think um, because, you know, with not starting with the crack epidemic, or epidemic but as an example, um, the crack epidemic in the eighties, the penalty of course for crack was a hundred times more harsh than the penalty for having cocaine. 
And so the, yeah. there are certain things that you know are racial. And most likely, most of the black people that I, that I know, actually, I know this. Most of the black people I know have never <laughs> done a psychedelic with another black person. Um, I don't even know any other black female psychobots out there. I, I do know of some that exist yeah. via the internet. Um, and of course, um, Monica Williams up at UConn, my alma mater, was trying to do some amazing work, but of course, things get shut down. Um, but yeah. it, it's just so rare for me to meet any other African Americans specifically that are willing to because of the misconceptions, um, <clears throat> you know, predominantly being that my family's Southern, it's just Christian. That's, that's what you get. Um, so, you know, things like that. Have been a, seen as, oh, yes. Is there, is there a, uh, that, that deep rooted Christianness with the, uh, African Americans, is there, is there a view of psychedelics as being against Christianity, uh, of the devil or something where, you know, maybe it's built into the religion that they look at this and say, that's not something we should be touching because of religion. Cause on the other hand, I understand as a, as an African American, you don't ever want to be carrying something illegal around because you're right. going to get severely punished for that. Yeah. So that, and the mandatory minimums are crazy. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Is yeah. And I can but see yeah, the fear it, coming out of the right. whole crack versus cocaine. I can see that reverberating. But if you look at the other side at the religion, because a friend of mine who's an African American, she doesn't, she's not a psychonaut at all, has never done any of this. And I asked her, I said, why don't <clears throat> I see any black people at these events? And she, she said the religion, you know, she's not real religious, but she mentioned the religion also. So I wonder you know, what your thoughts are on that, you know, now you said you're from the, the South and have grown up with that. But what are your well, thoughts my, on that? Actually, my parents, my parents are from the South, so I'm, I'm first generation North, but, um, and, and okay. uh, you know, I'm from the Northeast from a predominantly um, white place. Um, right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so it was, the scrutiny was almost, so it was, it was more cultural than religious um, okay. in terms of, you know, not seeing any other African-Americans talk about psychedelics or partake or, but even when it comes to um, media movies, um, I've been doing content analysis, trying to, trying to ascertain whether the race of um, how the race of how psychedelic users are portrayed, um, whether that has any effect on the attitudes of, you know, black people in America. And um, mm. I'm finding it's very difficult to find any, um, media that has had African Americans in, you know, that that space. Even the, being the hippie, you know, even being the the guy with the, the like the long hair and the yoga, like no, it's still it's still never a black dude. It's just it's just not something that goes yeah. on. So sometimes you know, a lot of people you you do what you see as well, and it's just not seen yeah. as much, except for in the movie Hair. <laughs> the movie Hair does have black people that, that, um, yeah. But besides that, um, it's, you know, it's not something that's seen as a thing black people do. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And it's also, it's just looked at as a quote unquote white drug. Um, the same way that it sure is. I mean, it, it uh, factually is a white drug. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, I, I felt, or I saw the, the kind of 
hole in that. And I realized that in terms of dealing with mental illness and things and dealing with depression and PTSD, you know, the percentage of, of black Americans with PTSD is high. It's like 8.5% um, versus I think um, Latinos, it's like 5%, you know, and, and so it's a, it's a wow. big market difference in things like PTSD that is dealing with racial trauma. Like I have been traumatized yeah. by the police before, um, you know, from mm. a young age. And that is something yeah. that people don't realize is a constant thing that you deal with because even if, even if you've never seen, you know, police brutality as a thing, it's still something, you know, it's still something, you know, yeah. that you have to be aware of. And if the police are everywhere or if the people that you're told your whole life are going to, you know, subject, subjugate you and, put you down you build an apathy towards the system as well so it's it's so difficult to get out of that um, to get out of your own head and to deal with those the, the racial aspects of everyday life and that trauma as yeah. well that it, it, you know it can be a very heavy thing to deal with psychedelics in that to confront those things as well because it can make you see enemies everywhere or it can give you peace but Either way, you're going to have to work through that um, until you break through to that other side. And for some people, you take yeah. it once. For some people, you have to take it a lot and have, of course, therapy and, and whatnot. Therapy is amazing for everyone. Everyone should do that if you need it. Yeah. But, you know, there's yeah. just a lot to confront. And I think a lot of people just don't want to do that because they are tired and it is hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Just a mental game. Yeah, it's hard enough, but hopefully, I don't know. That's a really good point. I had no. I mean, obviously, you know the horrors that go on in, in our country, um, but I never really thought about the reverberations of um, trauma and PTSD as a result of that, and the effect that that must be having because of people self-medicate. You know, when when we deal with trauma, whatever the trauma was you know, human beings, we self-medicate and a lot of times self-medication can cause problems right. and just make the whole thing worse. And so that's, that's something that that's an aspect of this I hadn't considered. I'm, that's cool yeah, that's, that your that your mind is open enough to consider that uh, position as well. Yeah. I don't, maybe it's i uh, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's the medicines that <laughs> help crack me open. Well, I, I think that these so, are things that I never would have um, considered. Uh, had I not, um, you know, had those experiences, it, it changed my, my perception and my perspective. I always tell people you can look at the same thing every day and, you know, you take mushrooms and all of a sudden you're like, wow, my hands, <laughs> you know, that all the bones are where they're supposed yeah. to be. I always call it, I call it the two inches. I always think if my two inches was, or if my heart was two inches forward or backwards or left or right, I may not even be alive. And so the fact that yeah. I'm even in this meat vehicle and everything's where it's supposed to be to get me to this age of 34 is incredible. And so those are the things that I, I try to integrate um, that, that the general sentence don't forget to be in awe because if you let those things yeah. that traumatize you, re-traumatize you daily, you, you know, you, that's very heavy. So the, the way that you can work through that, especially through these, you know, entheogens and, and medicines and therapy is, to realize that life is also beautiful, as painful as it is, 
the lights are still on. You're still there. You're still out here in a world. You know, you still have fingers and toes. And even if you don't, you still have things to appreciate. And those are the things that I do my best to hold on to um, or else things can, of course, get dark for, for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And then our, our connections to these other beautiful souls, and these other beautiful people out there. Right. Doing the same thing. And it's so yeah, important, amazing. you know, I we're such that. a social creature that it's very important to, to do our best to connect with other people. That's something I definitely still need to work on, <laughs> but um, I, yeah. I try to do well, my best. Yeah, more opportunities. To, right. And, and just make people aware that they are amazing as well. Um, yeah. I think we can be so focused on work and punching numbers and doing what we have to do that it's, don't forget, you know, you were a championship wrestler in high school or, you know what I mean? Like you have had things that you are good at and, and to not let all of these other things um, bog you down to enjoy things to again, be in awe. It's, it's super important. And I think through LSD and mushrooms, those are the things that they um, fundamentally taught me that I try to um, impart onto other people. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to do psychedelics. Um, my girlfriend is a very connected person and she's very sensitive to things. And what's interesting is that on mushrooms, I recognize her need not to do them. It almost puts me on a similar mm. plane because I can understand living in a world as an, a, an emotive person that is sensitive to, to those things. Um, and that yeah. is important for, for me to connect to even the person that I love. So it, it has opened yeah. a lot of doors. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I love that. So it's, it's don't forget to be in awe. Yes. Is that what it Say is? it all the time. Mm-hmm. And the work is every day. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's awesome, Jasmine. So uh, what else? Do you have anything else you want to share with us? Uh, no, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to do. I listened to a speech by Graham Hancock um, one day that really changed my life and also dealing with a family member in the justice, criminal justice system and what a, a heavy blanket that is over you. And yeah. um, it, it made me realize that um, that we are traumatizing people for no reason. And so if there's anything that I can do as an advocate, as someone that's getting this degree, because I feel like the more paperwork you get, the more people will listen to you. Um, I yeah. want to, you know, scream from the rooftops that you are in pain. A lot of us are in pain and it, there are other reasons why. And there are things that are so good in our lives that we have to stick to. So, or, or to hold on to. So I'm doing my best to study so that I can be a vocal advocate and, and hopefully legalize these medicines in, in conjunction with, you know, therapy and really just get people out of the muck to realize how amazing yeah. they are. So that's, that's, that's just the only thing I want people to know. That is what I would want recorded until the end of time. <laughs> nice. Well, that is beautiful. And I wish you all the success in the world to get out there and help all of us and, and do good things and advocate. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jasmine. I really appreciate you being here on the show. And uh, I just, I just wish you all the best in life. My pleasure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's it. That's good stuff, Jasmine. I really, uh, I'm grateful for you and, and what you're doing and the insights you have and kind of a unique position you have. So I look forward to seeing the, the great things you do out there and, and helping people. Thanks. Ditto. I, I look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. 
That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.